scripture reading for this morning is going to be out of Daniel chapter 8. That's page 885 in the Black Pew Bible. You can find one in the pew back in front of you. Again, that's Daniel chapter 8, page 885 in the Black Pew Bible. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the other one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the, power, rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns, toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision considering the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the, indi of the uh, indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the nation, or it, re it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of the Media and the Persian. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, 
Four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken. But by no human hand, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Wanna, while I was uh, gone, I would, from time to time, I would, um, there was texts and phones, phone calls that I missed, and so I would try to return those when I could. We had meetings pretty much all day, every day, and I would uh, try to return those, but there was a, a, a time later in the week where I was, had a lot of messages on my phone and then I had a problem with my phone, and I was just so happened to be with uh, Dave, who's uh, very tech savvy. He always fixes all my stuff. It's amazing how God's graces uh, evidence in different ways. For me, he's always put a tech savvy person in my life. And so Dave was that person when we lived overseas. And so I said, hey, man, something's wrong with my phone. And so he fixed it. But the problem was I lost all those messages and calls. So if I didn't return your call or return your um message this week it's most likely because I, I i didn't see it so if you had something you wanted to ask or some need make sure you get with me or send that to me today i'll try to get back to you but anyway apologize for that daniel chapter 8 turn in your bibles back to the text that jake read for us we saw a a battle yesterday at the flag football field the Beaver Beavers, um, we have a football team, and um, they had a football, and they played the, who'd you play? The Bengals. We don't know where they jokers are from. Could be Randolph, Terry, I don't know. Could be Crosstown, I don't know where the Bengals are for. We had a battle, and uh, it was Nick and Tuck for a little while, and uh, but we ultimately fell short, and we lost a decisive uh, game and um, we don't remember the score so if you ask us we don't remember so don't ask us why would you ask somebody if they say they don't remember so don't ask but um, we fell short uh, yesterday and today in our text we see a, a battle don't we uh, between the Persian rams and the Greek goats and the goats are going to win just a uh, spoiler alert put all your money on the goats, okay, because they're going to they're gonna win this battle. But we know ultimately, as we've seen week in and week out in the book of Daniel, every chapter, who wins ultimately? The Lord does, right? His kingdom will last forever. And we see time and time again the kingdom of this world coming to an end, but the kingdom of God lasting forever. Well, Daniel is living in really uh, difficult, tumultuous times, right? Uh, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world Daniel is living in. Uh, it's times of conquest and upheaval, and nations are, seem to be uh, 
furious at one moment and fragile the next. And this is where God's people have to live. Daniel is in Babylon, mindful that the 70 years is uh, ticking, uh, coming closer to a close, and yet Daniel's given this vision of the Persian and Greek kingdoms who will come after the Babylonians. So it becomes clear in today's text that when the years of exile cease and Israel returns back home after 70 years, right? That's what Jeremiah prophesied, 70 years. But even after they return home, there's still going to be a long stretch of tumultuous history yet still to go through. Getting back to the land doesn't mean that kingdom of God will ultimately appear. Okay, so keep that in mind. And we're also taught in the first chapter, we talked about how this book is really unique in that it's written in both the Hebrew language, that was the language of the Israelites, right, and also Aramaic, which is the trade language of the day. First chapter, Hebrew. Chapters 2 through 7, written in Aramaic, and then from chapters 8 on, it's written in Hebrew. Most likely, the reasons for that is because of the recipients of the letter, who that portion of the letter is directed to, okay? Um, first chapter, Hebrew, chapters 2 through 7, it's talking about the Gentile kingdoms, pagan kingdoms of the world, right? Using Aramaic, and it comes back to Hebrew here. Why? Because he's focusing on what's going to happen to God's people, okay? And this is the third vision given about the world pagan superpowers. Remember chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about the, the statue, the image made of different materials, right? And then last week in chapter 7, uh, the dream that Daniel was given about the four beasts, okay? This is the third uh, vision uh, given about such uh, superpowers. And we've seen a lot of emphasis, a lot of talk about Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, right, his grandson, a lot of, a lot of talk about those folks. And then last week we, we, we talked about the little horn of the Roman Empire, right, that Antichrist figure. A lot of, lot of ink spilled there. So the purpose of chapter 8 is kind of fill in the details omitted in chapter 2 and 7 relative to the second and third kingdoms mentioned in these visions, okay? So that's where we are. Number one. The Persian ram. Look at verses 1 through 4. Daniel has this vision. And um, Daniel's kind of famous in Babylon at this point in time for interpreting dreams. In fact, uh, once he was a even able to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was before he actually interpreted it. But here, it's interesting, he has this dream, but it baffles him. And even after, later in the chapter, when an angel interprets the dream for him, he is complex. Very, very perplexed. Look at verse 27 of chapter 8. Flip over there real quickly. And I, Daniel, this is after the interpretation was given to him. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Even after the interpretation was given to him, he doesn't understand. So what, is that, what, what should that tell us? Well, as we study this, we need to stay humble, right? Remember we talked about apocalyptic literature on Wednesday. Jamie taught that. We've been talking about that some in a small group on Sunday morning, but apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand. It's figurative language, so don't take it literally, right? Take it seriously, but not so literal. 
look at look for the main point. What is the, what is God trying to teach us through His inspired Word? But we need to be humble. Okay, we need to be humble as we walk through this text. And in His vision, He was by the uh, Uli Canal in Susa. This is where he was in his vision. Probably not there physically, because it was quite a ways from Babylon, but he was probably there in his vision. Uh, he's transported both in time and space, right? Susa is going to become the location of the king's palace and the capital of the Persian Empire. Remember, we're, he's still in the Babylonian period, right? Belshazzar is still alive. He's talking about what's to come. It's kind of like... Um, Someone that may be in the 17th century, you're a British diplomat being transported to 20th century America. Yeah, right. What happened to Britain, right? Um, and what did he see? He saw a ram. And this ram represents the Persians, we're told, or the Medes and the Persians. So think about this is the third vision of the world superpowers, okay? So the ram of chapter 8 is the chest and arms of silver in chapter 2 and the bear with the three ribs in its mouth of chapter 7. There's going to be a test at the end of this. We're giving away a free car if you can get all these answers right, okay? Um, the ram had two horns. One was higher than the other. The smaller, the mead section, the higher horns most likely represents the Persian section, which had the bigger of the two influences in its joint kingdom. The Medes and the Persians are kind of one kingdom. Two kingdoms come together to form one. And this kingdom was greater than any of its day. This ram, he did what he pleased in regard to conquest, and no one, no kingdom could do anything to prevent it. But the kingdom that allowed the Jews to return to their land in 538 B.C. and helped fund the rebuilding of the temple was going to come to an end. Their kingdom is short-lived. Look at verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go back. I'm reading the wrong chapter here. Um, look at verse um, 5. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. So it was a unicorn-type figure, right? Don't get so caught up in all the pictures and, and images, but it had one, one horn, right? This goat um, of chapter 8 is the, the middle and the thighs of bronze of the statue in chapter 2. It's the leopard with four heads of chapter 7, right? All talking about the same kingdom. This is the Greeks. And this horn represents the, the great Greek leader, Alexander the Great. You studied this in history. Or we did. I don't, know what to, I don't know what kids are studying now, but we did when we were growing up, right? And he was an impressive military leader, described in verse 5. He came from the west and conquered the entire Persian Empire, replacing them as the world superpower. So you have the Babylonians, and you have the Persians, and now you have the Greeks, right? In verse 8, he, he built a great empire, and he, it tells us that he was exceedingly great. I consider the horns, and behold, there came up among them another... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm under the um, influence of uh, medicine, and I'm doing the best I can. I'm sick and I feel really terrible. Did you get, Chris, did you start sweating when I walked out? I did. I was looking for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if it's not me, you and Morgan, you got it, buddy. And I was like, well, I could walk out on them jokers and go home, but I'd have to hear about that all week from Morgan. He'd be whining and complaining about that all week long. 
that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Hey, here's Daniel chapter 8, and I'm gone. Uh, sorry about that. Let's look back verse um, uh, verse 8 of chapter 8. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So let's talk about this, what's going on here. Commentary, commentators all agree this isn't something that's like debatable. This is something that's pretty much a given. Um, there are some things here that are debatable, and you scratch, makes you scratch your head, but this really isn't uh, one of them. This is Alexander the Great, right? He, um, he was a great leader, and he led a, a great army and conquered the world. Um, but it, but, um, but he, his kingdom, again, didn't last forever. In fact, it's interesting when he, um, he besieged and defeated um, the coastal cities of Tyre and Gaza, and then he turned his, his attentions toward Jerusalem. You think, oh, poor, poor Israelites, poor Jerusalem, right? He's fixing to crush them just like he's crushed everybody else. And he had demanded some um, supplies from the Jews who were coming to pay homage to him. And they were still, at this point in time, the, the high priest hesitated because he was still uh, pledging allegiance to Darius, right, um, the Persian leader. And so Alexander was angry, and he began to move on the city and aware of the danger that he had put his people himself in. Uh, Jadua, the high priest, he began to pray uh, to the Lord uh, for mercy and protection, and he went out to meet Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, the night before, had a, had a, had a dream, um, and in his dream was dressed someone like Jadua was dressed in his high priestly garb. And so he sees him, and he takes Paul's, and we're told... Uh, that he accompanied the priest into Jerusalem, went to the temple where he offered sacrifices to the, to the God of, of the Jews, right? According to the high priest's direction, he was giving him direction on how to do that rightly and treated uh, the high priest and all the priests r- rather well. And so when he was asked, he, his, his generals were uh, amazed, right? They couldn't believe it. Like, what are you doing? And he said, well, I had a dream about a man dressed just like this man. And, and you know what? what? You know what else they told me? They showed me one of their sacred scriptures, and the high priest showed them Daniel chapter 2. And guess who Daniel chapter 2 tells us about? It tells us about the Greek Empire. And uh, Alexander, Josephus tells us this. Let me read it. And when the book of Daniel was shown him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks uh, should destroy the empire of the Persians, he supposed that himself was the person intended and as he was then glad, he dismissed the multitude uh, from the pre- for the present time. So Alexander the Great, he saw himself in the scriptures and thought, hmm, I'm going to leave these people alone. I'm going to actually treat them rightly. But Alexander the Great, he carved out an empire of uh, 1.5 million square miles. But the, at the height of his power, of his conquest, the scripture says the horn was broken off, meaning the king, the horn, was was. No more. He died. He died at uh, 33 years old. And verse 8 says that four conspicuous horns came up in its place. And these represent horns. Always think of general. Always think of king. These four horns came in its place. And there were four generals who assumed his rule after his death. Cassander to the west. Lysimachus. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. To the east. Ptolemy. You've heard of the Ptolemaic uh, rulers in the south. That's in Egypt. And then the Seleucids. To the north, that's modern-day Syria. And so it took Alexander the Great about 12 years to conquer the whole world. But after he died, it took 22 years for these four knuckleheads to divide the land up, right? 
So here we see the, the Persian ram. We see the Greek goat. And in verses 9 through 14, we see the little horn, which is really a really big pain. Here we look at verse 9. This little horn, it comes from these conspicuous horns. Now, we saw a little horn in chapter 7. Oh, yeah, I remember a little horn from last week. Well, it's a different little horn. It's a little horn, but remember chapter 7, a little horn came out of the Roman Empire, right? He was the Antichrist-type figure, right? Um, this is a, a different uh, little horn, very Antichrist-like, but a different one uh, nonetheless. Um, and the little horn becomes the focus of this passage, just like the little horn was the focus of the passage of chapter 7. This little horn is the focus of the passage of chapter 8. Notice how much attention is given to this little horn. Because, and this is why, because what is important in history as far as God is concerned is, is what is happening to his people. How is this going to affect my people? Okay. So who was this little horn? It says in verse 9, it grew toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Glorious land, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, I'll refer to that to the, the glorious land as the promised land. Um, Palestine, right? Um, and that's to the west. So this means that the horn was from the north, okay? And it refers to the, the eighth king of the Seleucid dynasty, and that is his name is Antiochus Epiphanes, and it's pretty well um, um, understood among evangelical circles. He came to the throne in 175 B.C. Now let's look at verse 10, and we're going to do real quick to walk down through here, and let's just take note of some of the things, uh, descriptions of this little horn of Antiochus Epiphanes. He became great. Look at that. See that in verse 10? He became great, and some host and stars he threw down and trampled. Now, this is kind of interesting. Who's the host and who are the stars? Um, think about Joseph. Remember Joseph? He had dreams. Remember the dreams he was having that his brothers, it caused his brothers to throw him into the, uh, throw him into the pit? Genesis 37, 9. Joseph's telling of his dream to his brothers, which wasn't a very smart thing to do. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Here you see this idea of these stars in his dream. Well, I was referring to the, the people, right? I think this, these stars are the, the people of God. And it says the prince of hosts. Um, some, some would say this was the, the high priest who was, who was removed by um, Antiochus, but um, I think this is, has to be the Son of God, the Messiah, right? I think it has to be the Son of God um, here. And it became great, even as great as the Prince of the Host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was, was overthrown. That's interesting. You see that the, the Prince of the Host had the offering taken away. The sanctuary was overthrown throne. I think what, when we think about um, the Israelites, why are they in this situation? Do you remember? I mean, go all the way back. Why are they exiled and why are they in Babylon? Why are they not in the promised land in the first place? Yeah, they were being judged for their sin. And I think that's what this is referring to here. Um, the Israelites, they're suffering at the hands of this evil leader because of their sin. Okay. Look at verse 12. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. Now think about that. What you think that should automatically come back to your mind, thinking, well, the truth has to be the word of God. In fact, there's some history books uh, that record some things that took place back then. 
Um, there's some books in the Apocrypha, and that's the, the Catholic um, extra books they have in their Bible. And, and they're not inspired. Uh, we wouldn't consider them inspired words of God, the book of Maccabees, but it does give us uh, some historical information that they're helpful. Let me read this. First Maccabees chapter 1, 56-57. The books of the law which they found, they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Where the book of the covenant was found in the possession of anyone or of anyone who adhered to the law, the decree of the king, commend them to death. And so what do you see? You see this person trying to Hellenize the people of God. So he comes in and he's taken over and he's trying to, you know what Hellenization means? It means to make them Greek. So he's trying to eradicate everything Jewish, everything about them that was Jewish. So he wouldn't allow them to read the Torah, read the law, and, and other things that, that he would do. Let's continue to look at 12, verse 12. It says he prospered, right? He was prospering. Um, and, and it says in verse 14, And he said to me, or look at verse um, 13, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and, and host to be trampled under foot. This is someone asking a question. This is probably an angel. Say, hey, how long is it going to be like this? This is terrible. So the temple was taken away from them. They couldn't use it. They couldn't obey the law. They couldn't do all the things that God had commanded them to do. How long is this going to happen? An angel asked. And it was said for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now keep in mind, Daniel is in Babylon. Do you remember what happened in 586? Students, what happened in 586? What happened? Yeah, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. What happened to the temple? Utterly destroyed. So he's hearing this, right? But, he's, but, he's, but he knows it's only going to be 70 years in captivity. But what's going to happen, he knows because he's talking about the temple. Oh, there is going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt, right, in the years to come. But this is talking about the desecration of the temple. Then when the temple is, is the second temple, when it's rebuilt, you're, you're not, there's going to be a time where this king's going to take over and you're going to be able to use it, okay? Now look over to where it talks about the interpretation, Look over in verses 24 and 25. Again, we're just looking for things describing this little horn, this Antichrist-type figure, this Antiochus Epiphanes, this ruler, uh, Greek ruler, who was definitely evil, definitely full of himself, right? Verse 24, his power shall be great. We've seen that already, but not by his own power. That's interesting. Well, who empowers him, you think? He's doing all this wickedness. He's empowered by the enemy himself, right? It's going to be very wicked, very wicked. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. So there's going to be persecution, right, a mighty persecution. Verse 25, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, prince of princes being the Messiah, right? And he shall be broken but by no human hand. So there's going to be persecution, but he's going to be broken, this pagan ruler. Just like we've seen every, in every case, he's going to be broken but by no human hand. And in fact, God's going to take him out like he did all the others. So let's talk about this guy, this little horn representing Antiochus Epiphanes. He's one of these, um, a descendant of one of these generals, a Seleucid king. And um, 
Again, he came to power 175 B.C. He gave him this name, Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the illustrious God. That Epiphanes means God in the flesh or God manifest. And so what is he doing? He's very full of himself, right? Um, he was power hungry. When he came to Jerusalem, he took the high priest, removed him from office, and installed his own. In fact, one time he was on a raiding mission in, in Egypt, and it, it was spoken of in Jerusalem that Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes was killed. And so they began to celebrate, and they're, they're trying to fix to take back over. Well, it wasn't true, and so when he returned, what did he do? He poured out his wrath upon God's people. He accused them of rebellion. He attacked them, and 40,000 he killed in the space of three days. He entered the Holy of Holies in the temple, and he desecrated the temple by sacrificing a, a, a pig on the altar. He erected a, there on the altar a statue of Zeus, which was interesting. He wanted to look like him, right? Circumcision was forbidden. If he found a, a child that was circumcised, he would kill the child and... Also the parents. He made them eat unclean meat, and the Sabbath observance was forbidden. So he removes this, the, 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 the sacrificial system. He threw down the sanctuary. He, um, he flung truth to the ground. Think about the sacrificial system, how important it was for them at that point in time. What, is, what does the sacrificial system do? It reminds reminds people how they must come to God, right? And also points God's people to Christ, right? The Messiah. A lot of terrible things happened during this time. That angel asked, how, how long? He's burdened. How long will this take place? How long will this temple be out of order how long will this desolation last and we're told 23 evenings and mornings now there's several ways of understanding that the regular offering was offered up twice a day it says morning and evening and some take this figure and, and cut it in half and say well it, it must mean 1150 days since there's two sacrifices a day and there's dates they can plug in there that's the case, it, this period of time will be three years and two months. If you kept it at 2,300 evenings and mornings, that would be six years and four months. I think either understanding is possible. Probably more likely this means 2,300 days in my opinion, but again, that's debatable. Think about when the, the temple was reclaimed and cleansed. December 25th of 165. If you took that literally 2,300 days, you would come to the year where Antiochus Epiphanes began his persecution, which is 171 B.C. But the amount of time is hard to figure. I know sometimes some of you are like, oh, what does this mean? Because I've been studying, I'm really, really puzzled by this. Well, I'm puzzled too. And if you read much... You'll find a lot of people who are puzzled about this. But even if you think about this 
specific, precise time periods, I think it's safe to say that it's a specific amount of time in the sense that it won't last forever. You take this literally, figuratively, I think uh, Antiochus's reign is shortly, of just like all the other pagan rulers. So I don't, have, I don't think we have to get caught up in that. But if you, you, it, it's good food for thought. It's good things to discuss in a uh, small group uh, next week. When the temple was closed, many of the people, um, God's people, they fled from Jerusalem, history tells us, and they went out and lived in the bush in the wilderness. And soon there was kind of this group of uh, kind of rebels living out in, in, in the desert, in the wilderness. And one man rose to leadership. He had five sons, the five sons of Maccabee. And they started somewhat of a guerrilla warfare and um, attempting to win back control of the temple. And, and um, I don't know if they knew about the prophecy of Daniel late or not. Maybe they did. But um, history records that the high priesthood was reinstated. The temple was reclaimed and cleansed um, and on um, December 25th of 165 BC uh, sacrifices were began again um, interesting I've got some notes for our small group leaders uh, history lessons there I think will be helpful for you but why so much information about this this one king this one evil ruler and his effect on God's people Think about well, all that all that happened in history. Why is this specific incident pointed out? Well, because it affected God's people in an impactful way. But also, I think God's people had never, even though they faced a lot of turmoil. I mean, they're taken and right drug off into exile to Babylon. Then, as the the kingdoms replaced Babylon, Persia, the Greeks, and then the Romans, they saw a lot of herd and suffered greatly but I don't think they had ever faced what they faced under Antiochus a, a systematic effort to eradicate everything that was Jewish I mean Babylon they there was times where oh we're going to make this statue and you got to bow down like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do right but by and large they were able to worship keep their own language their own traditions even though they didn't have a temple they could still obey the law to a large degree. But here you see this systematic effort to eradicate everything about their faith from their lives. So the extreme danger justified the detailed prediction we see in Daniel chapter 8. And I think the day's going to come when they're going to need this. This is something in the future. They're going to need to know what's going to happen. And I think it's just the kindness of the Lord to prepare his people for times of difficulty. I, I don't know if you do this. Um, you ever, in your family, do you ever scare each other? Any of you do, some of you do that. You scare each other like in the dark, and your kids do it to you, and you do it to your kids, and it's kind of funny, you know? But what if, like, you know, okay, you know one of your kids is behind the door down the dark hall in the bathroom. You know that he's going to jump out and scare you. Uh, well, you're, you're prepared for that, right? And it doesn't have its effect. So, I think the little horn revelation here in, in Daniel 8 is doing the same, has the same effect for Israel. This is what's going to happen in the future, Daniel. Israel, this is what's going to happen in the future. There's going to be a Babylonian, you're in Babylonian captivity, you're going to be 
oppressed by the per Persians, and then the Greeks. And when you're in that time frame, there's going to be a very wicked king who's going to cause you all kind of difficulty. So be ready. Jesus does the same thing for us in the New Testament. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. <clears throat> Let's read this together. And if the world hates you, Jesus speaking, right, speaking to disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Good to know, isn't it? Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they would do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from my father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So we'll see what's happening here. He's telling them there's, you're, there's a lot of, they're going to hate you. They mistreated me, they're going to mistreat you. Look at, look at chapter 16. Why would he tell them that? I think the same reason why God gave Daniel this vision in Daniel 8. Why would he tell them about all the trouble that's going to come? What's to happen in the future? Look at chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. It's just the kindness of God inform you of what's to occur in the future to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That's what Saul of Tarsus did, right? He thought he was doing something for God as he persecutes the church, right? And they will do... These things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Application, what do we do with Daniel chapter 8? Well, I think just what I just said, there's a kindness of God preparing us for difficulty. And there's some in the world that says we're, you're a Christian and your problems are over. What's wrong with that? It's wrong. Other than it's wrong, nothing, right? But it's just wrong. As you read through the New Testament, the more I understand the Scripture, the more I read the, the Bible, I see, no, we're Christians are going to have difficulty. The whole idea that when you become a Christian, God's supposed to take care of you and take away your problems. you good to God. God's going to be good to you kind of mentality. That's not biblical. Godly people suffer. Jesus suffered. Godly people 
suffer. Don't be surprised when you suffer. Remember Jesus' words, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We talked about it in small group this morning. We, um, if you ever go to Philadelphia and you, you go downtown and you see the steps where Rocky, you know, has a statue and you get up on, yeah, you do that, yeah, yeah. That, that's, Jesus, I've overcome the world, right? Yeah. God wins. God's people win. His kingdom will last forever and ever and ever, and all the kingdoms of the world will be judged. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Second thing, remember that God's sovereign, right? We've seen this over and over again in the, in the first seven chapters, now in chapter 8. 8.25 tells us Antiochus Epiphanes will be destroyed, but not by human power. Toward the end of his time on earth, Antiochus, was, he was on the raid to the east, and while he was on the trip, he died. He didn't die in battle. He didn't die by the sword. He wasn't assassinated. sudden illness and he died. It kind of reminds me of Herod. You remember Herod? Well, somebody paid homage to him and was talking about how powerful he was and because he didn't give praise to God. Remember what happened to him? He dropped dead and he was eaten by worms. Yeah, I think it was probably something like that. Third thing I think we can take from this is all these descriptions of things are going to happen in history. All these kingdoms are going to come. You, know, you read your history books. Yeah, it tells it just like that, unless you're in China. Then it's totally different. All right. But all these detailed prophecies about these people and what they're going to do, we read it. And, of course, we're on the backside of it. Daniel's looking forward. This is what's going to happen. He's predicting it, right? We're past these things, right? And, they're, yeah, those kingdoms, yeah. Just, uh, Antioch Epiphanes, yeah, he did that. Oh, yeah, he did all those things. Just as God predicted in his word, that should reassure us that the rest of the scriptures are true and arrival as well, right? Paul says in Romans 15, 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Hmm. This guy was a historical figure, and his reign of terror was predicted by God through Daniel the prophet. God knew that. He's omniscient. All these predictions came true. So when a world of evil and when we're suffering and when it seems that the devil's winning, what do we do? Live godly lives. Live godly lives. Live for the Lord. Persecution and difficulty lasts for a short time, but God rules and reigns forever. <clears throat> The devil is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and he used people, Antichrist-type figures like Antiochus Epiphanes, and he'll continue to use those today until the end. But let's be faithful. God wins. God's people win if you're faithful. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we're acknowledging your goodness and your omniscience and you know all things. You predict them in the scripture. And we're thankful for Daniel chapter 8. We're thankful for how you've taught us and gives us assurance and hope. And we know we can trust your word. 
Father, help us to read it and study it as godly people should. And Father, if there's anybody here who's uh, yet to bow the knee to, uh, to Christ, those who are living in sin and rebellion is yet to have their eyes and ears open to the truth of the gospel, I pray that you would allow them to see their need for you. Let them see their sin and their rebellion in their heart. Let them see that the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death, which is separation from God. Let them see that they're separated from you. And Father, may you allow them to understand how beautiful and wonderful the gospel is and how Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He lived a life that they should live and he died a death that, that each sinner should, should die. And he was buried on the third day he rose so that sinners could be justified and made right with you. Father, may you open the eyes of sinners and they see that and understand that. And God, may they desire to know you today. Would you save lost people today, whether they're children or students or adults, young adults, older adults? Father, save lost people today. Because your word is true, and those who are associated with the kingdom of God, who persevere to the end, will be with you forever, for all eternity. But those who reject the Son and don't believe and don't repent, they'll be just like Antiochus Epiphanes, who'll be judged for all eternity. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your grace. Help us live faithful lives this week in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to sing? Come on up, worship team. Let's sing one last song. We're going to sing us out of the building this morning.